Test Ride. Roll up in a blue bikini Bitches on the beaches looking super cute and freaky All my friends are princesses, we keep it whipped and creamy Ice cubes on our tops because we like to keep it freezy Lemons and Lamborghini, get out on the right side Shake the state at home because my girl wanted to ride Looking luxe and tasting plush, I'm feeling so alive Wanna take it to the highway, come on, let's go for a drive on Speaking of it, you also you speaking of that you you watched Emily in Paris today. Oh yes, I did. I did. How um, how is that? I know Antonio's talking is watching it right now. Um, I think it's more respectable as a TV show than the first season. Like this, like oh no, did they ruin it? I don't think it, ru- it they ruined it because like it had still like still has like a lot of like silliness and like all of like very <laughs> very like basic takes on things but it's just like less i would say like it's a little bit less annoying like you know like oh, in the no. first season when like she's like but the ground floor is the first floor and stuff like that like it's a little bit less in that vein it's kind of like it's kind of like an american that has been abroad for a longer time so like, it kind of makes sense that like they're like <laughs> new levels of her Americanness kind of popping out. Um really enjoyed the, the like the the arc of Emily as a character in the, like the very ending of the season when she sort of has to like question American corporate culture, which I felt was very fun because like throughout most of the show she's kind of like the ambassador of that mindset and I think that was an interesting thing for them to do. It's very annoying that they like are kind of this is a spoiler for season one, by the way. So like if you wanna watch Emily in Paris and you haven't seen season one, please skip this part. Uh but they like, continuing the like the uh, Gabrielle, Camille and Emily love triangle. But like they're doing it in a like a very annoying way where they just like act as if adult people can just talk about their feelings <laughs> like it's just miscommunication mm. on miscommunication i mean it's i think it's the, the triangle is better handled in this season than in the first season it's kind of it's a bit more mature and i think oh no but like but it's still like this is like a non issue like essentially the problem is that 
Emily has still feelings for Gabrielle, but she doesn't want to hurt Camille. Uh, Gabrielle has feelings for Emily, and he wants to be with her, but, like, Emily, like, says, I'm, tells him no. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop you right there. I, I, I really don't care about the plot of this show. <laughs> I just I really just want to know if there are moments as deranged as, like, the... Um, the French people don't understand me too episode or the Emily fucks a 17 year old episode. That's what I want to know. There is a continuation of the Emily fucks a 17 year old plot. Okay. It's promising. Um, Mindy has a band. So there's a lot of good song covers in the show. So that's a moment. Uh, okay. But it's less deranged. I think it's, it, it's more of a show this season. It's less of a, I'm tr- I swear, if they ruined this show for me, I don't. <laughs> I, like, I enjoyed it, but like, I'm not sure if you will. Interesting. I I will still watch it. Yeah. I will still definitely watch it. Like, I'm more wary now. I think. Yeah, I think it's because like they got a lot of backlash. Oh, someone's texting me. How dare I have friends? Um. Like, I know that they got a lot of backlash for, like, the first season for how they represented French culture. And I think... Who cares? <laughs> the French people don't have rights. Like, wee oui, wee oui, Timothy Chalamet. Oh, nah. Um, so, like, I think they were trying to be a bit more sympathetic, I guess, to their French characters this season. Um... They got bigger arcs. Like, the the other people at the agency have, like... Maybe not Luke himself, but, like, they, they're more humanized. They're, like, they have arcs of their own, sort of. And that was fun to watch. Uh, I don't know. I enjoyed it. Like, a solid three out of five. I I watched it in one day, which says something, I think. But- okay. Uh, damn. I was hoping to double down because recently I saw another. Well, not anymore. They're in Star Property, but I watched the first episode of and just like that mm-hmm. the other day. I've heard they kill was, big. Oh my gosh! Yeah, they did kill big. But the thing is, right, is that um, that first hour of television is one of the most deranged things I've ever seen in my life. Like, and you haven't watched truly... the the original show, right? I have I've, I've watched the, the first season. Okay. I bought uh, DVDs. I bought DVDs for the first two for really cheap, um, secondhand ones. So I'm watching. I watched the first one, and I'm going on the second one. And I've watched both the movies. <laughs> um, and I watched and just like that, and that was like one of the most deranged hours of television I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. It is. It is horrible. But I was like, it kept me on a constant state of like on edge and bewilderment and horror for, and horror and yeah I... that's kind of what i wanted out of emily in paris as well because that's the uh, that's the feeling i I, wa- I want it to make me feel something and it's just if it's gonna make me care about these actual people then then that's a disappointment <laughs> i am not gonna watch and just like that the same way i'm not i have never seen the movies i just i really like the show and i think the show is good and i just for me, those everything that happens, some things that happen in sixth season, everything that happens after the sixth season, to me is just fan fiction. I this I like I ha- I have no interest in engaging with those with those texts. 
yeah and just like that is truly i like i i need to keep watching and just like that maybe that will be my this year's emily in paris yeah i think so i don't think emily in paris season two will do it for you like the first season i don't think i don't know because like it's i think i have like a good sense of like what trash tv does it for you but I don't know. I, I, I think you might be a bit bored during the second season. Okay, okay. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We're like talking about Lily Collins. Now we're gonna um switch back and talk about another Lily. Ah. Um another Lily and Alana. Alana. So, Lily and Alana. We're talking about the Wachowski sisters in this one. Uh and we're topical again for this one, because we were topical for the Taylor Swift one. And now we're topical again because this week uh, the Matrix Resurrections premieres. I'm very excited. Um, so I suggested well, doing this episode, which is about some two uh, Wachowski sisters movies that I wanted to watch in the case rewatch um, and bring to the conversation. Because at least one of them is very applicable to what this show is about. I think both. Because are. one of them is very. I think. Yeah, yeah, no, de- no, definitely both. Because like one of them has Jennifer Tilly, and that's like hard canonical actress, <laughs> and the other one like is known for being a very critically panned movie with a strong cult following. Yeah. So I think these those were both um, like good. Uh, I thought this would both be um applicable for what we talk about mm-hmm. on this show um one i think is more um culturally uh, or critically acclaimed oh yeah like bound, bound got, is... got very good reviews from what i read yeah, at the bound time got... yeah 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 and um but speed but like but also it has jennifer tilly so why not and like <laughs> Speed Racer was just like which i mean we'll get into it and i really don't understand why but Speed Racer um it really i have this theory it, i don't that like what happened i like, have this wh- why theory did people that, not like, like this i mean i don't think people i mean <laughs> okay let's start let's start with the beginning i you like you suggested the title speed racer and i was like fine I've, i mean i'm not that big of a wachowski stan did i pronounce that correctly i mean you probably know how to pronounce <laughs> i mean it i know how to pronounce it in polish i don't know how they pronounce it <laughs> No, it's Wachowski. They Wachowski. say Wachowski. Okay, Wachowski. Um, like I, I knew Matrix. I knew that Ju- uh, uh, Jupiter Ascending movie that they did, and I know that the, they did uh, Sense Eight, and that was like more. Which of, is a great show. Yeah, it's I a, love Sense Eight. It's a great show. It's on Netflix, by the way, uh, and like that was more or less what I knew of their filmography, uh, and you know, I knew that they both transitioned transitioned uh, and came out as trans women one one of them came out earlier and one of them came out more or less recently and that was like more or less everything that i knew about them and but simultaneously little old me little i was 10 years old when that movie came out so like 10 years old me was obsessed with this movie that was very colorful and it was about this like wonky racing and this guy that had like a big M on his um on his car and he had this brother that he adored that died in a car crash. Like I I was obsessed with this movie, right? 
And like, not until we're about to watch this movie and I see the poster like next to the movie, do I realize that I've been obsessed with this movie for 10 years now. <laughs> That's so cool. Cause like, I only watched this later, but like you were a part of the target audience for this movie and you loved it, yeah. which is very cool. Because I think, which I, I, I like, I, the adults, like the adult film reviewers at the time of this movie's release, it just, just completely dismissed it. And that's sort of a mentality that I like, sometimes I completely understand why a movie was critically planned despite me loving them. Mm -hmm. Like a movie, um, like I, I think a movie like Showgirls is a movie that I unabashedly love, but like I, I see why some people or some critics would dismiss yeah. it at first. But this movie, I, I like if you go into this and you go like, okay, this is a family adventure movie and you see what this movie looks like and you see what this movie sounds like and like, can I, and you dismiss it as like, can I share just you? ugly and <laughs> bland and not engaging both visually and plot wise. Can I, and it's just completely <laughs> inverse of that. I can, I can I share my theory with you? I okay. think Speed Racer is one of those movies that came out at wrong time because it came out in 2008 and 2008 is also the year of Twilight and like to me that marks this like movement in aesthetics when it comes to films for both teenagers and kids that like well you have to either make films for babies that are like are very very stupid or you have to make something for teenagers you no longer make anything for tweens and like this aversion to color this aversion to like like suddenly like cinema slowly but surely became you have to be like moody dystopian series or like about vampires or whatever like it has to be specifically for teenagers or specifically for very small kids and you can still see that for example today with what's on cartoon network or like disney channel they like you used to have like a, this big amount of content for tweens like high school musical like all of the like disney channel renaissance era like all of the stuff that they made and then like around 2008 2009 that kind of dies and i think speed racer is very clearly made for tweens it's not like for very small children but it's also not like for teenagers i i wouldn't say and i think it just it was a victim of its time because at that time people were like, we don't want to do that anymore, essentially, I think. And that's why, because I, I have very little respect for the majority of American critics because like, like, it's the point that we always come back to that like they will put like, I don't know, 95% on every single Marvel movie. And it's like, and that's bland. Even though it's supposed to be like very colorful, that's a very those are usually very bland movies, because they all kind of look the same. And like, and movies such as Speed Racer are like called silly and substanceless because they're very colorful. They're also very imaginative with their editing, and and also like Speed Racer doesn't have like the normal beats for like. A drama because for example you have the main love and like love subplot between speed racer and his girlfriend trixie and they don't have any issues they're like a healthy supportive 
relationship. They don't have a single fight in the movie. And that obviously is wrong, because how else will you mark the climate in the second act if you don't have a fight between the main character and their love interest? Um, and I don't know. I think Speed Racer was... I wouldn't say ahead of its time. I think it was just... If it were released four years earlier, I think it would have been like as critically acclaimed as the first Spy Kids movie. Uh, those are sound points. And I'd like to add two of them as well to try and explain that I thought about. One, I said this exact line in, this past, in the past episode, <laughs> but like most things, I really do blame Christopher Nolan. <laughs> and this 2008 was also the year Dark that Knight, Dark Knight yeah. came out. Like, and like I previously, Batman should... Begins, and everyone started being on this kick of, <laughs> oh, superheroes and blockbusters should be uh, serious and broody yes. and lack color. And we don't want the Joel Schumacher, Batman and Robin, Batman Forever era. We left that in the dust. This is the 2000s and new millennium. We take these stupid cartoon characters seriously now. And I'm like... Yeah, there's that, and th- this is a movie. And, th- and the second point is oh. that this is a movie also based on um, anime. comics. Well, Japanese manga. Mm-hmm. And not um, anime? I thought it was based on an anime from the 60s. Yeah, ma- manga and then. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, like, which was also made into an anime. And th- they, and I, I don't, I really don't think that american critics at the time really knew how to react to a movie that and i don't think this is like i like i may be completely mistaken and be missing a completely like glaring movie but i i don't think this is the movie up to that point that really um transposes the aesthetics of action anime uh and the 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 energy of it and sort of the editing style, the action style, ever moving, ever changing, color certainly it's constantly shifting. Um I mean I know you and... haven't haven't seen the the Nickelodeon cartoon uh Avatar the Last Airbender, but I think this movie and that show are like the perfect gateway drugs to anime, like for Western viewers to kind of like get used to the aesthetic and the and the anim- I mean, not animation, but like the dynamics of shots and how like the story is told before like <laughs> leveling up to actual anime. Yeah, and I don't think I think a sort of illiteracy from American critics to that sort of style really just um, oh okay, uh, the Wachowskis made this and they made the Matrix, which you know. It's high concept sci-fi and it's really fun, but it's also very rooted in a style of action that already um, migrated into the U.S. long before it. Uh, and this movie, it like it looks like nothing else that had dropped at the time. The action is like unlike anything else. The CGI and the computerized effects um, look deliberately overly artificial and overly sugary, and it, it to to um, an audience. Um, in America that was growing more and more accustomed to just forlorn realism and broody, yeah, broody realism in general. It really sat poorly with most audiences. But that being said, you have to be a really boring person to not like this movie. <laughs> And also, like, oh, how, I, how? I think just 
crossed my mind. 2008 is also the year of the crash, of the big economic crash in the US. And usually when you have like, like, um, what do I want to say? I, I, why did I suggest we occur today? I do not have the brain capacity to, <laughs> to make points. But like when you have like strife economic circumstances, people usually like, they don't want to engage with art that is very opulent, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. Which is again, also, I think it's like yeah. it's a, it's it's just unfortunate that Speed Racer came out on that particular year. I would have to check yeah. if he like if the movie came out like before or after the crash, but um, probably before actually. Yeah. It definitely made before the crash, but also um, it it but it also in this at the same time it really couldn't have been made in any other time because mm -hmm. nowadays one it would look way vis visually would look way more boring i think it, it probably would not go straight to cinemas because it's not um uh like i think today popular ip for yeah. for western audiences i think today it would, it would be go made straight like, to netflix yeah exactly like a netflix miniseries that's what it would and like with like netflix treatment of like child um animated series that would probably make it like darker and grittier as well anyway they'd, they'd probably make it look like the cowboy bebop tv show and that just looks miserable it, it like i've i've never i haven't seen the show but every shot i see from those trailers every shot i see like um every still i see from that show is like where's the color where's the where, where's the where's the vibrancy Where's like what made and the it, original show? Where's the energy? It, but at Nothing. the same time, it looks so plastic. It looks so soulless. Yeah, exactly. And and yeah, okay. You can make the argument that like, yeah, Speed Racer looks plastic, but it looks plastic and artificial in a very deliberate way. The, all, in a way that like these action sequences, it, it completely blurs the line between what is animated and what is uh, live action. It, it it just sort of becomes this like, it, it they mesh together and yeah. create this like sort of a constant stream of color that sort of transcends what we are used to from both animation and live action. The difference and, is I think that like yeah. Cowboy Bebop remake feels plasticky in a like it just happened that it looks plasticky where Speed Racer feels like plastic very on purpose like that was the aesthetic choice it was supposed to look exactly like this and it was supposed to feel yeah. exactly like this whereas like cowboy bebop is just like like we couldn't really afford to make it look organic but like it wasn't supposed to feel plastic but it still feels plastic whereas i think bridgerton you know for many faults of that show like it also feels plastic, but I think it pays into like the the general tone and aesthetic of the show. I think there it's done more on purpose than I don't know Cowboy Bebop or The Witcher. Like to me, The Witcher feels a bit plasticky. I don't. I know you haven't seen the show and you no. don't know the games probably, and you don't know the books. But like... yeah, I completely. I don't know anything. I know uh, Henry Cavill's in it, and Logan's cousin is on it. I, that's all I. Know. Logan's cousin is up. Oh, interesting. Ah, yeah, you told me. Yeah, yeah, I told you. Uh, she's on the trailer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's one of the elves, right? I think so. Anyway, but like the... 
I I haven't never like read the whole saga. I've read some of the the short stories. My my brother and my dad are big fans, especially my brother, and like the sh- like the s- short stories are very rugged. It's like a very like very like I don't want to say dirty, but like it's a very like not realistic or I don't know what to say, but like it feels very organic when you read about when you read those stories like it feels like it's a full flesh world that like is is tangible and it's like our own mm-hmm. like that there's like shit lying in on, on the side of the street and like the that the, the fabrics that the, the characters wear are worn out like it feels very raggedy whereas the show and i'm only speaking about the first season because that's the only season that i've seen so far like it felt very plasticky to look at that show. It felt very artificial. And I know it's like fantasy, so like it's fine. It's fine, but it's just like it felt untrue to the source material. And like, but like, again, what do you expect from Brits and, and Americans adapting <laughs> a Polish fantasy series? And not even the series, they're mostly adapting the games. Yeah, it really speaks to a sort of like artificiality about Netflix that's neither deli- that's neither artistic or deliberate. It just happens by design yeah. and by the way it's presented, and it's and l- it makes me sort of depressed to look at the yeah. sort of the Netflix feed and look at how everything just looks like that. And I think that's um, also what's very depressing is that like it still like produces good shows from time to time. But they're completely like those are not the shows that the the platform chooses to promote. You know what I mean? Those are not the shows that get like billboards that get trailers that like the algorithm suggests that you watch. They kind of get lost within it. The same with like the movies that they pick up. They think are good movies, and that I I know that you have a different different opinion than me on that. But like I'm happy that like. Movies such as Power of the Dog, which usually would have like a limited theater screening, and then that they become a bit more accessible to people that maybe want to like you know want to expand their cinematic palette without I don't know for example subscribing to Criterion because that's already like a commitment to cinema I think so I think it's nice that they're trying to sort of branch out but at the same time. It's it's like we talked about like they bar- like when they even get like very great stuff they barely promote it and so like what's the point of getting those great movies by these great directors with those great casts or those great TV shows with those great concepts if you barely promote them like going Sense back eight. to the Wachowski like siblings like Sense Eight amazing show do you ever see it like pushed on the platform? Not anymore, and they canceled it. Like it's yeah, but Riverdale lives on. Hey, look, <laughs> let's not let's why why pit two bad bitches against each other? Um, I don't know where we were, but I I was I I was gonna make a point um, before. Um, I think it's fine. I think about... we've we've talked about Netflix enough. Yeah, for the people yeah, know yeah. What the feelings are. Yeah, um, but I was actually going to make a point about, like, if this movie was made today, mm-hmm. um, Speed Racer, live action, 
Yes, yeah, yeah, Speed Racer. Not Bound. We'll talk about <laughs> afterwards. Not let's. Yeah, let's get Speed Racer out of the way. But yeah, if Speed Racer were to come out today, I think, and given the proper backing, um, I think it would be something like Spider Man into the Spider Verse and animated, not a live action, um, because like the live action blockbuster. Um, market has been completely dominated by you know disney and what disney would not pick up up like a, a property like speed racer nowadays to really make into live action they have their own cash cows like you know star wars and marvel and <laughs> every cash uh, cow so is on. their cash cow <laughs> yeah i mean jesus but yeah like and, and even you know the matrix is which is an original property but it has its name and you know it's bankable and it's not Disney, but yeah, it's, it's already a bankable property mm-hmm. and speed racer. It's, it's game comes from an anime from the sixties. It's really, really niche. And it's a really personal project from the Wachowskis. And I think something like this with, I think would really be done justice is in animation. Uh, I, I like, I, I, I think, and I think the most direct, Comparison I can make to this movie nowadays is Into the Spider-Verse, which I it's one of the best superhero movies of the past few years because it is unabashedly made for made to inspire little kids and like make them like really fall in love with what animation can do and how animation can treat these characters. The Spider-Verse feels much more of like um like a personal project for those whoever that made it in which it. like um that it really feels designed like by people who love the comics, love the character, and want to sort of transmit to, to, to kids falling in love with the same character, the same stories, like how animation can truly capture and how cinema, animation cinema can truly capture that imagination from the comics. And it really is a love letter to, Spy- to Spider-Man, to animation as a whole. It's a great movie. Um, and I really... Uh, really say the same thing I could say the same thing about Speed Racer only it's like a live action movie um, it's heavily inspired by animation uh, from Japan and their and, and their aesthetics when it comes to like action um, and how they portray action on screen and if yeah like I it, it's a really is like a relic um, that I, I truly don't believe it would be made um this time like in this decade the or the, the or the previous one even yeah um, what I also... it's sad <laughs> but yeah it is very sad but at the same time you know like after each time of like artistic drought there's a artistic renaissance <laughs> so like i think people will get fed up with marvel and like couple years down we're gonna have like a very artistic like very um what's the word exciting uh time in blockbuster cinema i think dune gave me some optimism mm-hmm. um obviously a very different movie because that's also very <laughs> no i think speed racer dune... and dune are essentially the same movie to be honest both are no, about like, like young men struggling with the idea of power up as they come of age so like uh yeah, I think, and about corruption, only one gives into the corruption and the other doesn't. But like, other than that, completely similar cinematic experiences. 
No, because like I was gonna say, like I've I've been bashing these movies now because they're like how artificial, how dour and artificial they are. But like Dune is meant to be depressing. It's like it's a statement that it is depressing because that's what the story begs for. Yeah, look, like um, I have nothing but, like, against it, like it, it, depressing it, movies. Like I enjoy. I mean, we all know I enjoy depressing media, <laughs> but it, I think it's like my biggest problem is like the lack of diversity and a mistake that I think. Charles Bukowski, not to name drop another Polish American in this episode, but like, um, who also doesn't know how to pronounce his own name? Um, Bukowski. Bukowski. It, it should be Bukowski, but like, who Bukowski. cares? Who cares? Definitely yeah. not Charles Bukowski, but like, his realism is like extra dark, extra violent, extra exploitative realism. And I think. My problem is not that this sort of aesthetic choice exists, because that's fine. I don't like it when people think that's, like, the deepest, most serious. Like, that's, that's like, the real world. Or like, that's serious art, whatever. Like, when they value aesthetic choices as being better than others. When oral aesthetic choices yeah. exist yeah, yeah, yeah. on a spectrum, I think. And you should judge whether the aesthetic choice serves the purpose of the story. Because that's important. Yeah, and that's the course. thing with Dune. Is that the aesthetic choice just really serves the story. And that's important. And Yeah. And and uh, another thing. And like these movies. Uh, this movie is, these movies are much more divisive than Dune, for example. But like the Zack Snyder DC movies are... The, the like the, the just absolute like desolate d- depressive um atmosphere from those movies is very deliberate and is meant to service something whereas these marvel movies promise you the grand roller coaster of fun and it is the great spectacle it's a theme park come and like you can scream you can yell you can you know cry and like it's a big old spectacle at the movies but aesthetic there's nothing in them especially recently that really transmits that artistically the only like it's it all feels (laughs) it's feels like just marketing and manufactured and there's without an artistic backing behind it i think the only like marvel product that really nailed like matching the aesthetic to like serve the story was the the marvel tv shows on netflix (laughs) not to like put two like evils of this podcast together but like daredevil was very good the first season of jessica jones was very good i think and i come back to those like I've been thinking of like rewatching Daredevil for like a whole day now. I've rewatched the first season of Jessica Jones at least three times. I think those are very good TV shows. And I agree. F- first of all, they work. They understand that they're TV shows, and I love when a TV show does that. You know, like when they like really use the medium of episodes and how to say like tell a story and like it's like very like drawn out way the aesthetic choices i think are great like you have a you have small humor there like these are those are great shows yeah they really are and it's like yes it it's sort of um uh it's all about having these it's all about being realistic it's it takes place in new york it's very gritty it's very realistic feels like the new york we see today um uh, but it, and it is about superheroes and comic book characters. But the realism it, it works. It is conveyed in such a way where it feels more 
relatable and it doesn't feel like a type of fake realism like the nolan batman movies where it's clearly just like with made by a person that thinks that thinks who knows what realism in a comic book context is but has no idea like how to interact with reality in the first place and like for example when you compare let's say jessica jones character and like batman in nolan movies like both are like heavily traumatized people but like Jessica Jones' realism is about her trauma and like the the arc of the first season is her like overcoming the the trauma of her extremely abusive past relationship and like dealing with that and like accepting herself and loving herself and taking care of herself instead of like self-harming herself as a you know as a whatever <laughs> you know what I mean you're mentally ill if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> was that a mean thing to say everyone everyone's in on it <laughs> okay whereas like i know what's his face christian bale is a great actor right but like when yeah. i'm watching batman batman movies by nolan i'm not sensing that N- nolan or christian bale really consider the fact that batman is like a screwed up traumatized kid exactly <laughs> Exactly. Batman should be the biggest asshole. Batman should be like a cruel fascist, essentially, yeah. which is what why I really defend the Ben Affleck portrayal to this day. Um, like if you're going to make it a depressive and realistic, it would, what the Bruce Wayne character would be today. I think Ben Affleck captures that much better than what Christian Bale does. It's no fault of Christian Bale. I think Christian Bale could do that, could have done that in his sleep. He is a great actor. If he was directed in Nolan. such a way. Yeah, I, I I always like I I I like uh I liked them when I was a teenager and I do I still obviously I still really love Heath Ledger in the second one, but oh, yeah, I I, I like I I think of going back to the third one and really try to assess how silly it is in hindsight because <laughs> like because the prospect of going back and I was obsessed with him when I was a teenager but. Like, the prospect of going back and seeing, like, probably, like, it's been, like, six years since I saw that movie. But the prospect of going back to see Tom Hardy play Bane doing a silly voice, knowing how much of a comic book nerd he is by the way he chooses to portray Venom. Ooh, that's very t- enticing, honestly. I really plan on watching, rewatching The Dark Knight Rises. I don't know, the first movie can show you. That shit's boring. I mean, um, the first but... movie has Killian Murphy, and that's, like, that's argument enough for me. Yeah, that's f- fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> but, like, um, th- like, I've only rewatched Dark Knight, I think, once, because Heath Ledger. I mean, that's the problem I have, like, with Dark Knight. Everyone thinks it's, like, such a great movie. It's like, no, Heath Ledger It's a one is... performance, maybe two performances. I do really like um, Aaron Heckhart as Two-Face in this Oh, yeah, well. but, like... But, like, usually people will talk about the Joker, right? About Heath Ledger. And it's like, no, it's not a good movie. It's, it's a good performance in a boring like, movie. It, like, if, like, if you really love that movie, tell me one thing you love about the Batman arc in that movie. Or one thing that you love about the plot of that movie. Tell like, me. Who no, cares no, 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 about no. Don't even tell me Knight. what you love about the plot. Tell me the plot of Dark Knight. I barely remember what the plot I is. Like, you, what I, I do remember, remember the from scenes. the Dark Knight. <laughs> I remember the Joker scenes, I remember the Two-Face scenes, and I remember two good actors putting on, like, good performances as, like, really tortured, like, weird characters. And I remember Maggie Gyllenhaal being being a queen, and that's it. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, like, but she's basically get gets nothing to do, which is you know most of which Nolan's is a way. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> are you accusing Christopher Nolan of internalized misogyny? Like, <laughs> think about the female characters in his movie. Like, like, I don't think is... it's internalized. I think it's very externalized if he chooses to write his female characters this way. <laughs> Yeah, like, in, in Anne Hathaway, in the third one, as Catwoman, it should have been way better. Like, she kind of served, but it wasn't... Like, only, a, like, a man as boring as that English middle-aged man would make Catwoman as, like, just bland and... No fault of Anne Hathaway, but, like, the Catwoman in that movie is just... It's a, such a... It feels like it's a different universe as, like, the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman... Um, and I think and both, obviously Harley Berry. I think like all three of them stand on their own. It's just uh, it's like with Spider Man. It's just alternative universes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like they're all coming together now or whatever. Like whatever that. Thing I mean, is, but it has their devil, so I will watch it now in cinema. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say the like how the fuck is Matt Murdock? The, like in the thing that makes me depressed. I I promise I'm gonna back go back to mm-hmm. the Wachowskis. <laughs> but like the thing that rushes me the most. Is that Venom is supposed to be the MCU now? And I'm like, they ruined it. They ruined it. Venom, like, outside of the MCU, was like a safe haven for me to have the type of superhero movies that I like. And now he's going to be in it as well. No, no, no. So, I. For anyone that wants to see Spider Man, what's his name? No Way Home? No Way Home, right? Uh, and doesn't yeah. want to be spoiled again please ignore this part so i actually like because i'm on tumblr i know like about the post credit scenes so like oh i know about all the plot i've read the plot oh yeah stuff. so like venom literally just like gets zapped and then like goes back into his like in his like venom world that's not part of the mcu but just like a part of the symbiote is left in the spider-man verse so like they literally just did that so they can have their own venom oh wait Oh, okay, really? <laughs> yeah. No, because in the credit in the end credit scene of Venom Let There Be Carnage, one of the best movies of the year, <laughs> um like yeah. it, it is implied that Tom Hardy is going is like he wa- he's watching like on the TV and he's watching Tom Holland and he's get like gets his little grin of like and I'm like after a great movie I was just like no, don't do this to me. No, don't no, do no, this like, to me. So wait. The, oh, so the okay. The description th- of the end credit scene with Tom Hardy is literally just like he he gets up there, like, because of, like, the multiverse, whatever. And, like, he leaves a bit of the symbiote there, and then he goes back. Like, he doesn't interact with oh. anyone in the movie. I think, to be honest, I think oh, that was, like, a false Easter egg to sort of, like, to be used as a smoke gun to sort of make sure that people don't think that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield will be in this movie, even though they obviously will be in that movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I get it. Okay. It's oh, okay. That makes me more. I somehow missed that part. Um, from the plot synopsis that I read, maybe the, I didn't read the end credit scene. Sometimes the so, synopsis. Okay, so they're probably gonna have their end. own venom. Yeah. They, so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. The, I don't the, think the they're MC gonna universe, allow like whatever. gay symbiote relationship into the main MCU. <laughs> No, because the Venom, Venom, the Venom movies are clearly so different from what the MCU is. It like mixing the two, it would really the MCU would eat the Venom movies alive. But it would just sort of like, like like a symbiote. It would like assimilate, like it would make the Venom 
movies like assimilate to what the mcu is and that's like the opposite of what i want yeah. and okay that's that's better that's better yeah um, um but yeah speed racer <laughs> like what i love about this movie so much is that like <laughs> there are two things that i really don't like that happens in like any kind of writing which is unnecessary conflicts for the sake of creating tension because I think there are like way yeah. smarter ways of creating tension than just like having the two love interests break up or like having the the main character like disavow his family or his values because of something something because he has to protect them or whatever you know what I mean like I think that's very lazy writing and I one of my favorite tv shows of all time is very guilty of it the vampire diaries they would just like break the couples up willy-nilly and then like they pair them up willy-nilly because like obviously people only date within their like friend group from high school and it's like it was very annoying and it still is and i'm still very bitter about it but what i really like about speed racer is that like the main character also named speed racer never really is in that lazy conflict like there is tension within his character and within his character arc and that but that tension has nothing to do with like lazy conflict with his parents or like him selling out or i don't know once he becomes a big shot him like having like a fling with someone else and not being loyal to his girlfriend no like none of that oh, shit yeah. Like, Speed Racer is introduced as a character with integrity, and he maintains his integrity throughout the whole movie, but at the same time, the movie has a lot of dramatic tension, and I think that's amazing writing. It it, it, it really baffles me how... Not to make this entirely negative, and like, just... Not to make this entirely negative, but it really baffles me how some criticism from the time said, oh yeah, it's stunning visually, or whatever but um it's substanceless i'm and pretty it's sure no the void of I'm like a coherent sure, plot for kids i'm and pretty sure the majority of the reviews for speed speed racer were actually for the nolan films they were just like filed wrong <laughs> on the magazine like like is this a review for inception or, or what like how how did we get here but no seriously like it is a very very it's obviously very simple to follow because it's a movie made for kids to really watch and you know to to, to it, it really is a, a type of family movie that is that has been lost where it's like the plot is very simple eh, but it is so easily engaging at least i found it i don't know i don't like i i can't speak for anyone else but like it's so easily not just not just the visuals not just the insane editing and that really like coalescing to what i look for in blockbusters visually and what I like about, for example, like anime, action anime, um, it also makes the characters so easily, so easy to like, and so easy to get invested in. You know what their um, uh, sort of um, their inspirations are. You know what what drives them, like so well established from the very beginning. This like uh, like masterfully edited. Uh, sort of like flashback scene to really explain the opening what happened scene to this family to the family of 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 speed racer and when he was a kid and his brother and all that who like um apparently died in uh, after being involved in some shady shit in the racing business um and like it, it, it that 
uh, montage alone just establishes what every character in this movie is all about. Basically, every character in this movie is all, all about, which is like there's this family, there's the racer family who really cares about the purity of racing and like keeps it in the family and it's all about the integrity of the sport. Uh, and then you have like nefarious capitalistic um, entities like the sports administration that really wants to zap the soul out of racing and make it all about profit and like rig the results and all that. All of it's very simple. It's like very simple tropes, but um, that is established so well from the beginning and everything that like unfolds not to give spoilers but like everything unfolds with like the possibility of his brother being alive or like what happens uh to his to his brother what led him to go with like sort of this dark path in his life um and it's important drive speed racer to racing and it's also important to know that the wachowski sisters uh hired a k-pop star a huge k-pop star rain in 2008 (laughs) Before Gangnam Style was even a thing. Oh yeah, they really, they really <laughs> hired uh, a K-pop star bef- before it was cool. That I found that was I didn't know that. I found that was awesome. Like just the Wachowski sisters out here, just like listening to, listening to like, two uh, thousands K-pop enough to cast uh, Rain, uh, in in this movie. And like I I like even his part in the part of like the 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 the, the part of the conflict that concerns, uh, his his family, his character's family. Uh, it's all very simple. It's not given much development, but they have a place in the story and it is very coherently plotted throughout the entire movie. Um, it, it, it's just like the action scenes are unlike anything else I've ever seen in a, a big movie like this. Maybe only matched by like the insane energy of like Mad Max Fury Road. Um, and the plot, like I said, is very easy to get sucked into because like all, all the, like a protagonist like that's like pure and good and what's do what's right but is genuinely likable which i think many blockbusters now is like are really afraid to do like oh but superman has to be edgy and like aggressive uh there's like the the good guy the pure good guy is always like a little bit unlikable a little bit pissy but no speed race is just like oh he's just a nice guy you just want to see him succeed and like Susan Sarandon and John Goodman has his parents, just like just nice people. Like you just want to see them succeed, isn't it nice? <laughs> and the thing is also like I don't like I don't know where this idea comes from. The like that simple stories or simple writing is inherently bad writing or like less impressive than like whatever Christopher Nolan is trying to do. Like I actually find that like it's the opposite. That it's usually the best writing is when the story is very simple. Like, the the bones of the story are very simple. It's about how the characters are created and how you choose to make them interact with each other, but also with the overall themes of the story is what really matters. And also, like, the problem with, like, Christopher Nolan's film is that, like, what are they actually about? Like, what's the theme? What is he trying to say in, like, those, like, multiple movies that he makes like because you know know, i'm not saying that every story has to have a deeper meaning and like i don't know thematic i don't know i can't create words today but like i do think that even when you say something like that whatever you choose to create you should aspire to be able to say something and like speed racer doesn't have like a mind-blowing theme on i don't know 
the nature of humanity. But like, I do think it's a very thoughtful study of the commercialization of sports and how yeah. that affects the integrity of the sport and thus the integrity of the sports people. And I think yeah. also that's a very unexplored story, I would say. Yeah, I think so. Because like, um, like, like Christopher Nolan's movies, like when when you you get so like even if you like end up liking them like you probably get so sucked into sort of like oh the complex plot devices and like timey wimey bullshit or whatever he's trying to do most times like like what the hell is like what the hell was like what what's the tenant <laughs> no not tenant the one before the war one like oh, Dunkirk. Like, the yeah, thing Dunkirk. about Dunkirk like, is that, what like, was that all about? So what, like, is, it, is, is war just like a like a, a like a field with action figures for you to play as the, and call okay. it like cinematic the experiments about, with the time or about, whatever? The thing about Dunkirk is that like it started out good because essentially Dunkirk is a story about like the evacuation of of Normandy at the beginning of the war, and it's like it was predominantly very young British guys that were kind of like left there to just be killed by the government, and it was like the citizens' uh, effort to get them back so like the film started out good because it was talking about like how like how inhuman that was to do this to like these young boys to like promise them to like fight for their country and then like leave them fuck all to die and like on the beach in france so like it started out good then like most nolan movies it was completely like over explained but like it had like an i think it had a nice theme but then it ends with a fucking like Churchill speech that like the famous one like we're gonna fight on the beaches whatever like that you should continue to sacrifice yourself and like a, like a somewhat smart film director would be like we have to portray this to like f- the final nail in the coffin to make you understand what this movie is about so like the the, the corruptive political nature of war and that like for a few words by the prime minister millions of boys die just because right just because they make a pre-speech about honor but they don't actually take care to, like take care to have like proper leaving strategies for troops that like are in territories that are occupied by by the nazis that they they you know they they preach about patriotism but that they live leave the troops to die like, no, 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 instead of that, Nolan portrays the, like, we should actually, this is heroism, essentially, this is heroism, and we should applaud Churchill, Churchill and we should applaud, like, the, the sacrifice of these boys, as if that wasn't, like, a huge tragedy and waste of life. And that was, like, so annoying, because I was, like, finally, Nolan, finally have something to say. And then, no, of course, because he's fucking British and he's from the South and he ignores the fact that Churchill was a fucking colonizer and racist. Probably a Tory. Churchill was a Tory, yeah. He was from the Conservative. No, 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 uh, no, Nolan. Nolan. <laughs> yeah. Nolan, probably a Tory. Um, I, I, enough, enough shitting on Nolan. Like, he would never make Speed Racer. That's all I'll say. He, like, he, he could never make something that is as just simple um in conveying its core themes and making them emotionally resonant like it is very easily to understand like like it's a family movie very easy to understand like oh big uh capitalist big capitalist sort of um enterprise that wants to eat up this entire sports industry bad 
family that wants to preserve the purity of the sport because they have something working class family as well i think yeah yeah that really like wants to maintain the purity of the sport and do it because that's what makes them want to like keep going and feel alive and really binds them together as a family those two forces very easy but it's really conveyed in a very just a pure way like this movie is so pure and while you have like insanely complicated editing my god this must have taken ages to sort of edit and sort of plan uh the transitions between each shot out it's just a huge huge ambitious movie visually but like the core values of them are so well defined and there's nothing that compromises them and it's it's a really special movie i think and like the 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 Wachowskis and like uh, as big movie filmmakers, it bef- uh, it re- I think they really started like declining in popularity, really after the Nolan era, which is something I'm th- I, I'm I'm mm. I'm sort of thinking about because like the Matrix movies are very I'm rewatching them and they are the plot is very complicated and there's a lot of twists and turns and big lore. It's a whole uh universe onto itself that with huge lore and like but at 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 their core there are very um simple uh ideas behind the characters that make them so resonant for a whole diversity of people watching them um and meanwhile those nolan movies um represent a sort of like type of movies that are complicated for the sake of being complicated and you know if you don't pretend to just uh, try to understand um the brilliance quote-unquote brilliance of them because they're so complex and try to explain like time paradoxes or whatever to you they're automatically worthwhile um meanwhile the wachowskis really just want to make very um yes like complicated movies technically that really like push the boundaries of blockbuster filmmaking and big scale filmmaking high budget filmmaking uh but meanwhile they have really simple and likable characters and it's really i i I would really like to see a big uh, resurgence in the wachowskis um sort of career i don't know i the new matrix is still directed by only lana i don't know if uh, i think lily is working in... on the on the and the show uh work in progress or something oh okay okay yeah i was about to say like i don't know if she's like uh it's still interested in like filmmaking or mm. being involved in movies but i, I would really just because I, I do still think they have a lot to say and a lot to bring to movies especially in like um in obviously cinematic landscape that uses tries to use push the boundaries of what technology can achieve and like i mean shit the matrix was groundbreaking in its use of technology speed racer looks still to this day barely any blockbuster filmmaker blockbuster movie uh looks anything remote to comes close to sort of like um inventiveness and i don't know i would just really like to see um what comes next i'm i'm really excited to see matrix resurrections you know like most of the time i'm very glad that only yulia really listens to the show but sometimes i wish we had like a very big following so chris nolan would know that we hate him 
It's just like I don't. I, I want to ruin his day. You go and make your movie. I want to like, ruin his day. <laughs> I I don't I don't hate I like I really don't hate the guy. I I liked his movies before when I was a teenager, <laughs> but that's it. There's like the kind of movie. Okay, that I don't you... hate him. I hate him what he stands for, as a, <laughs> as an like as an artistic person, quote unquote. Like yeah, it's like th- th- those are the kind of movies I I really don't know, but to me those movies are like while you're watching them, I and even as a teenager when I was like quote unquote a fan of him, I really wasn't. I just just thought you you were supposed to like. The him. thing is like um like I remember being a teenager and like enjoying these movies, and like I can still somewhat enjoy Inception because I really like the cast and like. I do think that movie is, like, visually interesting. So, like, you know, it's fine. But, like, revisiting Speed Racer was, like, mm-hmm. a chakra opened in me. Like, I enjoyed them. Like, the more I think about it as an adult viewer, the more appreciated. Whereas, like, the more I think about Nolan movies that I enjoyed as a kid, like Prestige or Inception the more bland they seem to me, you know? They really don't hold up. That's the thing. It, while they're trying to, like, try to ex- over-explain to you these, like, big, supposed big concepts in the scripts that the scripts sort of, like, revolve around, they kind of forget to craft interesting characters and interesting narratives, which in big movies that you're watching, even as a young viewer, that's what you latch on to. And I guess, like, with Speed Racer, like, it's really interesting that you were a kid and probably knowing next to nothing about movies, right? How dare you? Um, I was... (laughs) (laughs) No, but you know what I mean. I was always extremely intelligent and educated. (laughs) But, like, you know what I I mean? Like, you, you, like... Like, barely any, like, 8, 9, 10-year-old. Yeah, no, like, I was just, like, I I was watching things for the vibe. I still do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I I really, it really is a big uh, endorsement for the movie that this is a movie that, after all these years, uh, stands the test of time um, and really is able to capture... I didn't watch it as a kid, I watched it later, but, like, it, it really... I'm glad you have that experience with it because it really proves that, like, um, wait, what was I going to say? It, it really proves that if you have uh, movies that are able to capture uh, a sort of a childlike it, it, um, sort of imagination and eye for, even if supposedly untrained, an eye for like visual inventiveness and just you know um they really end up standing the test of time and if you try to make overly indulgent just um unemotional parts of movies you they really just serve for you to sort of try and engage with while you're like 14 and 15 and trying to be serious but once you're an adult and you don't have time for that bullshit all you want to do is sort of recapture a type of um, genuine interest and imagination that you were only able to feel as a child yeah and now let's talk about lesbians well, let's talk about Bound because, like, <laughs> the, the Wachowskis. We've been talking about blockbuster. We've been talking about like Wachowskis as like blockbuster filmmakers. They made they made the Matrix series. They made Speed Racer. They made like Jupiter Ascending, which I I want to revisit actually. I 
is that secretly great? I don't know. I um, mean, it has uh, Channing Tatum as an alien. Like, I think every I, I mean, great actor is allowed one and, mistake. Like, I, I, I only, I saw that when I, when, when I, when it came out, and I was like, I'm not sure if Doesn't I really have, like, understand what's Booth, going like on. An, as in, like an evil alien emperor or something. Yeah, it has Eddie Redmayne, and I shit you not, even when it came out, and as a teenager, I was watching that movie. I was like, this is the the only good Eddie Redmayne performance ever. I stand by it. Eddie Redmayne's really bad. I really um, like his rendition of Empty Chairs at Empty Tables. I think he's a good singer. Oh, sure. As, like, a pawn in, like, the the musical. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it, like it, in the, like, the, the huge ensemble of the, the Les Miserables, like, it's fine. But when he's, the, like, he's not a, re- a leading man. Like, he's supposed to play wacky alien characters <laughs> in Wachowski's movie. He has the face for it. He, he definitely Yeah, he really does. It. Yeah. He really does. But, yeah, um, the first Wachowski's movie, I mean, every filmmaker starts, has to start out relatively small. And it's still really impressive that The Matrix was their second big blockbuster. Like, wow, what what changed in the movie industry for, like, like beginner filmmakers? They were still in their early 30s when they made The Matrix. And the, the original property, original sci-fi lore, the huge budget, go ahead, make them. Like, really unheard of nowadays, really. And... But before The Matrix, they made this movie called Bound, which is the opposite of what Matrix and Speed Racer is, which is very, because it's very, it really is contained in like a single building. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it's very much a play, if you think about it. It kind of, it kind of is a play, yeah. Uh, oh yeah! Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, that just awakens me. I would love to see this as a play. I think it would be amazing. I think it would be a very good play, to be honest. I think like the visual aspect is very strong and bound as well. Like they play with, like the 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 color palette is obviously. Uh, I mean, it's not Speed Racer. There's about five colors yeah. in that movie: red, like burgundy, red, white, black, and blue and gray. I think are and but like. It's like it's visually stunning, but I think it would translate very well into a theater play, like with a very minimal, minimal set, like set design. I actually agree, which really only speaks to like how good, really good the script is for Mm -hmm. this movie. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like it's so, it's so minimal, but you have this one relationship that you're rooting for throughout okay, the entire let's, movie like, as the big bad yeah like so let's explain what this movie is okay, actually so about. essentially you have jennifer tilly being she's so hot in this movie i can't stress this enough how hot like she is we, we in can this explain movie. we can explain how this movie is like visually engaging because of how like you know it's really uh like it's it's color schemes of like the smoky reds and the mysterious like grays but we we can really just talk about how visually stunning this movie is because of jennifer tilly jennifer tilly is i i you you have i i anyway so we're posting the pictures on instagram yes she's the very first she's the very first post as she deserves what a queen so anyway we have jennifer tilly Who's, who lives in this building, right? And, like, she has her mafioso boyfriend called Caesar, who's played by, like, a psycho mafia character character actor from The Sopranos, of course. Bring back Joe Pantoliano to the movies. That's all I'm saying. 
What a He's guy. in the hinge in this movie. He's in the hinge. What a performance. I love this guy. <laughs> He's amazing. Anyway, so that's it. That's her boyfriend. But she's really she's really uh, a gay, a queer, uh, a pussy lover. And it the, the movie starts with this I'm a terrible at like giving synopsises. Anyway, the the movie starts with these two women being in an elevator together. We have Jennifer Tilly, the goddess herself, and then we have a butch is she butch or is she just like Yeah, she, I think she's like butch coded where yeah. you have like there's this Blairbox review I sent you where it was like girls that say girls that say <laughs> Hi! like yay or hi. You have Jennifer Tilly, the femme coded, and then you have girls who say bra, bra. and the butch coded character uh, played by Gina Gershon. Yeah. Who like shot this back to back with Joe Girls. What a legend. Oh my god. I love her. And she's also in Riverdale. Like, oh, so good. <laughs> Anyway, so so like the very first shot is two of them in the elevator and right off the bat you have the establishment of like of their erotic tension, of their sexual tension. I think we should like tell people that the first like 20 to 30 minutes of the movie it's like pure erotica smut like it's, we're not even kidding pure. It, it like the if you watch like like eventually it devolves into a very tense thriller like very pulpy very bloody very tense but the first 20 minutes it's you would be mistaken to be to like if you were watching this without no context. So if someone walked in the room, if you were watching the first twenty minutes, you're like, "Are you watching softcore pornography?" Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It really is like that, but it's so engaging because like it's, it's not a very only, good like very. Smart. It's a very good yeah. Because it's, it's not just very erotic. We're like, dude, these two very hot women like sort of like um getting sexually involved. Like, the emotional bond that really defines the rest of the movie and is, like, really the core uh, element for you to get attached to uh, when the the plot really kicks in and you're supposed to feel really tense. Um, It's all established during those very porn-like 20 minutes, which is very impressive. Yeah, so... The two the two women are into each other. They have very steamy, very graphic sex, and that's when like the the plot proper kicks in. And essentially, um, what's Jennifer Tilly's name in the movie? Oh, I forgot. Um, I'm so bad at it's character Corky, names. Which yeah, is Corky, Gina. Corky, yeah. No, no, yeah. no. Corky is the, the Gina. Corky is Gina Gershon. Violet, and Violet, 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 Violet is Jennifer yes. Tilly. So Violet wants to escape the mafia life. Violet doesn't want to be there anymore. It's also, I think, uh, said in the movie that she's, like, as part of the mafioso. Um, I-, I don't know if it's, like, part of the mafia or she does it kind of on the side, like, as her own side castle. But essentially it's implied that she's engaging in prostitution, right? I remember that correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah, she's sort of, like, um, the side piece to... Uh, and really treated as a side piece to Caesar... The, the big macho mafioso guy and she sort of like during her own money like she also engages in like sex work and essentially uh, and, like really involved in that cd lifestyle yeah. yeah and essentially an opportunity arises for them to steal two million two million dollars and escape and that's kind of how how the plot goes and it's yeah a, it's a very 
I like a good heist movie, and it's a very good heist yeah. movie. It's a very simple thriller. Like, two girls like each other. They want to escape a world of really seedy men that really treat them poorly. And Jennifer Tilly especially is uh, finds uh, a, a way out in a, a way of um, tr tries to find liberation really in uh, this very liberated character herself. Like quirky is like she doesn't give a fuck essentially. Like she smokes a cigarette in the elevator. Uh, like she's very butch. Like she she really doesn't give a fuck. She just got out of jail. She has nowhere to go. And like she sits, she sees that type of like, um, uh, sort of liberated character, and Jeffrey Tilly, like uh, Violet, really latches onto her. Like, oh, I really want a way out of this life where everyone treats me like shit. And they form this very meaningful bond. It's very like bound. They are bound to each other as a style of the movie indicates, and it's like they're so easy to root for. Uh, it's like it, the plot is really easy. Like two girls want to escape. Evil Italian mafiosos well, want to keep fuck. their money and also keep their girl. Like <laughs> that's it. That's it. And like I really That's all you need. That's all you need. And like I really stand by my point that like it's not really about like what story you tell, because any story you tell is derivative in one way or another because there is no original story. It's about how you tell it and how you choose to present it and how you choose to relate to it theme wise. That's what really grabs um, a reader's attention, which is why I don't care for Harry Potter, but I love Harry Potter fan fiction. <laughs> no, good point. Yeah. <laughs> Not as being topical since it's like twentieth anniversary of the first movie. Oh, I don't think we ever gonna do Harry Potter, but I really do want to do the Spy Kids trilogy in the future. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a good that's a good decision. I, I I would love to do the Spy Kids trilogy. Similarly, very wacky movie, like similar energy to um, mm, to Speed Racer. Speed Racer in yeah. a way, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, like Bound um, to me. What also I really like about Bound is like, especially for a movie done in like mid nineties, the core lesbian relationship is not fetishized at all. Even though, like, they have a very, like, graphic sex scene, it's very respectable. And what I also love is that, like, they are using, like, realistic female-on-female body sex positions. <laughs> like, they, what I'm trying to say is that they are not indulging the scissoring fantasy that does, you know, that's not how real lesbians have sex. Yeah, it's because it really, really uh, is comes down to the like, there's like, they could very easily be like, um, pushed aside as side pieces and like, oh, yeah, the mafiosos are the, the leads of this movie and they're trying to fight over their money. Meanwhile, these two broads try to try to steal the money and these two. Like, oh, these two schemers. But no, the, the beginning of the movie really tells you, oh, these two characters are really important and you should be invested in them. By the way, they engage in very graphic sex because that's what their connection, uh, because they really found like a deep connection um, uh, between each other. And like, yeah, it's it, it like very raunchy, very, like, again, it really looks like porn for the first 20 minutes, but there really is like an emotional core. You really... Like, root for them. Yes, go Jennifer Tilly. You go fall in love with the next door butch lesbian. 
go up. To be honest, I think Bound walked so the handmaiden by Pak Chan Wook could run. Oh, I know it'd be a cool double feature. I yeah. want to rewatch The Handmaiden. I haven't watched it since it came out. I love The Handmaiden. It's such a good movie. I think, yeah, like, I, really cool. I, for example, with Old Boy, which I know was like very big in the West, and I think it even like, I don't think it won at Cannes, but I think like it was nominated at Cannes. Yeah, it was really big. Yeah, and like the first, like one of the first big Korean movies to yeah. really make it big in the West. And like. Yeah. As much as, like, I understand what Old Boy is, like, supposed to present, I don't... I, I didn't really enjoy it that much. But, like, Handmaiden, to me, is, like, the movie of Pak Chan-wook's filmography. Like, it's a perfect movie. <laughs> I, I want to re... I, wanna, I think I'm going to do, like, a, a, a by, my, by myself, I'm going to do a, a, a rewatch of Bound and also, like, a Handmaiden back-to-back. Mm. See how they play. The lesbian yeah, experience. Because that sounds really, because that does really sound like a, a cool, a cool double feature, even thematically as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but yeah, but, but like like Jennifer Tilly and Jenny Gershon are so likable, so like throughout this entire movie, and like it's like it like like you said, it's just so simple. It's a very simple story. But when you got performers are strong and writing is as strong as in this movie, like you can pretty much tell anything, and it's gonna be really great um and speaking of movies that wouldn't get made today like first of all like you'd never open a, like, you wouldn't get that big first 20 minutes for like the lesbians out there that just like no. want like respectable porn like want respectable like, lesbian porn. i feel like, like the wachowski like, sisters did it like okay there are lesbians out there that don't get to watch porn because the lesbian porn is made for the for the straight guys that get turned on by girl and girl action. So like we gotta make twenty minutes of this movie, essentially as a gift for them, so they can have some like respectable lesbian porn. But for also, lesbians. like guys in the audience, you're gonna watch these two hot girls fuck, right? But get this, you also get to get emotionally invested in them as people. How about that? How about that? It's the best of both worlds. That's what Hannah kind of Mont- is, it kind of. Hannah Montana was a bounce stand and she was singing about that movie. Yeah, cuz like but like can you imagine like a movie ending with like 20 minutes of like a, a basically just really of, of like intense smut? Like ending I, I or really beginning? don't like beginning. No, like I would just nowadays you have like like I feel like a lot of and he was talking about like the big cinema, like the blockbuster, like you know the cinema that's like it's really pushed into commercial uh, cinemas. I guess is like I think we have like now like a very sterilized gender, not gender <laughs> genre, like this, like this very sterilized idea of genre. The like this is erotica, this is a western, this is this, this is this, this is this, this is this. And I mean, my God, the big tentpole, like, erotica thing out there, like, after, the sex scenes are miserable in those movies. I mean, it's not even a sexy movie. Like, the whole point of erotica is that, like, it's supposed to get you on, but, like, in a less crude way than porn, I guess. And, like... Exactly, like, what you know, exactly it's a story gets you on sex. and after good... when, like, Hardest yeah. Goss can tussle. No, is that is that is that, is that your cue? Point. Is that your cue? Is that how you get get on? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some hardened Scott stands out there. Can that's all. But like, that's all. I I doubt. 
I really doubt. Why are but, you like, doing this? Why like, are you kissing Trevor? <laughs> really, movies like are really like on the on the big scale. And I know Bound wasn't a big movie, but like really their first feature film. But like it still got a relative amount of attention. And like even on the mid scale, um, movies <laughs> really seem to be very uh, like sterilized. They really don't have much sex in them. And I know. Like you know, like we're we just did an episode about asexuality, but like <laughs> I, I I speak as an asexual person. I really want to see more sex portrayed on screen. I don't like, want I didn't more make sex. I want more fun sex. That's the difference. Yeah, like first of all, I want like the sex scenes that there are to be like very like emotionally powerful or like at least fun, which is why house of gucci big shout out <laughs> i don't know i don't know if you know i don't know if you've seen it or know the scene i'm no, talking about but yeah I, I mean i i am aware of the scene <laughs> oh okay <laughs> like they're it supposed they, they're supposed to be like emotionally engaging or fun or outrageous or raunchy like they're supposed to be something because it's a huge part of the human experience it deserves to be portrayed on screen very like in a strong way um but like it really and and even as an asexual person if you want to like I, I actually meant to talk about this the last episode, but I didn't come up, and I was like, talk about this later. Like, if you want to have asexual representation, you have to talk about sex. Yeah, it seems paradoxical because like that's oh, why, that's, movies. Are, that's why like, the title have... is asexuality. A sexuality. Yeah. It's a relationship to sex. You can't talk about and, asexuality without yeah. sex being part of the conversation. Exactly, and if movies don't engage with sexuality, whatever part of it of the spectrum it, it is you don't have any meaningful relationship for really anyone um especially queer people like uh and i don't know this this movie like yeah it's 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 funny because like you're watching these first two 20 minutes and you watch the gd gershon and jeff really like getting it on it's like good for them this is the, yeah good for them and it's also like it's soft score four but it's like oh this has really is very beautifully shot has a great atmosphere you already can tell you're gonna love these two characters and it's like sex scenes are so important in movies sometimes and make also, more of them and make them matter i read i read a little bit about the production of bound and like that you know they struggled to find the two leads before jennifer tilly and gina agreed but also in the 90s they used a like intimacy coach for the scenes which is like only now ish becoming a standard on set that the, like people oh really that's act, really cool the actors are engaged you know in sex scenes on camera get to have like an intimacy coach to kind of help them mm-hmm. through it to make them make it feel more organic on screen but at the same time more like mechanical for them so it feels more like a part of the job rather than something that they should feel embarrassed about and like yeah the Wachowski sisters what trendsetters the rain in speed racer intimacy coach on the set of bound stellar work (laughs) again like please pay more attention to which to to the Wachowski like Big scale, small scale. That being Netflix said, show, I'm gonna doesn't matter. The, I'm gonna like, say something triggering now. Okay. I don't really like the metrics. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Seriously, I get it. I get it. Like, um, like it's very hard for me to get into the, like, oh, I, I, I like can you, can you, can you, can you, Keanu, Keanu, Keanu. <laughs> I hate vowels. Um, <laughs> I like him. And, like, I enjoyed the aesthetic choices there, and I appreciate, you know, the, the technology, like, 
what do I appreciate? I appreciate, you know, all the technical stuff and shit stuff and shit, but like... And shit stuff. And shit stuff. I'm very tired. And also I got a booster shot two days ago and like my oh, armpit is killing me. Oh, you got the me. booster. Okay. And like my armpit is killing me. My, my Getting them... I hope I get them. I get it my lim- lymph nodes are killing me. Anyway, what was I saying? Yeah, but it's just something about the story that's very hard for me to actually emotionally engage with it. And like that's I get it. That's I get it. kind of like what's always the most important to me is that like on some level, whether it's like the theme or a character, I need to relate to it emotionally. And that's like But No, yeah. I get I get it because like the Matrix really is like high concept sci-fi and if you don't get down with the lore and you really don't get the like at a certain point in the movie, past the point of like where it's explaining what it's all about. It really, you know, throws you in, okay, enjoy the, all the action, enjoy all the cool stuff happening. And by that point, if you're not into it, um, I guess you just get lost in the shuffle. And I get that. Um, like, rewatching them is making me realize that oh, these movies are really cool. And, like, a thing that is really interesting to sort of reimagine. And I'm, like, I'm rewatching all Wachowski sisters movies before I see Matrix Re- Resurrections is sort of like as they both came out as trans like the the sort of like the queer rereading mm. of some of their movies and The Matrix is a very queer movie uh like obviously subtext but it, it rewatching them like it most definitely is and and like obviously bounded, like the center of it is a lesbian relationship, but also like there's a lot of like literally like there's no substack in it. Like first two minutes, two women having sex. Um, like um, but, they're just but very it's good like, friends, Pedro. They're just very good friends. <laughs> two besties who want to escape the mob, uh, who can't relate. But like um, they were roommates. But, like, there's a lot of meaning as well to, like, Jennifer Tilly's character's feelings of, like, wanting to, just really wanting to escape uh, a reality that she no longer relates with and she just feels left out of. That's also very queer, obviously, without the, like, obviously, like, it's a lesbian movie, but that's also (laughs) the part of her character in a vacuum itself is also a a very meaningful queer queer narrative. I, I Like, as a whole, like... Um, and Speed I Racer think... is about pride selling out. <laughs> That's why it's yeah. so colorful. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of could be. Yeah, you, it kind of could be if you spin it enough. Like, I actually like Speed Racer more than The Matrix. That's my probably an unpopular opinion, but I, I know I really. I, and I, and I agree with you because I think it's like as equally as interesting on with when it comes to lore and like the aesthetic, but it's just also. I think it's a stronger story, personally. Like, I think, no, because, I, like, I, I, yeah. I really don't like, like, stories about, like, big philosophical themes that don't really have any, like, grounding in reality, which is why I really don't like Joker, like, <laughs> as a, like, this is the society, and the society is bad, and whatever, but we live in the society. When I, I, and it, it may be because of like that's my academic interest, but I much prefer like stories more grounded in how our society actually works and it's all these different facets. So, like, I enjoy Taxi Driver a lot more, you know, not just because it's a better film, but also because like it ties this like the 
deeper dehumanization to to the Vietnam War in like very specific way that the American society has treated veterans from that war. And I think Speed Racer to me is a much more interesting film when it comes to themes because it talks about a real issue in our world when it comes to sports and the commercialization of it and like the big companies coming in and corrupting a lot of sports that like also come from like working like working class background i mean look what happened to to football especially in the uk where it was like a very strong working class sport and what has it has become today like this big every millionaire can own the club you know like this yeah yeah like I think it... I mean it's also fun. sorry I also found funny how the big millionaire in in Speed Racer the big capitalist villain is just the most British Tory looking motherfucker. I've ever seen. Also like I I don't know have you ever watched like Tamara Drew with Gemma uh, Arton? No no no. Oh so it, it, it's a, it's like it's a retelling of uh, of Tess by um, Tom Hardy different Tom Hardy that one from 19th century and uh he oh, oh thomas thomas hardy thomas hardy yes oh okay okay yeah never mind sorry <laughs> thomas hardy venom? tom hardy <laughs> <laughs> so venom actually is a classic literary writer thomas thomas hardy was possessed by a symbiote <laughs> so it's like a retelling of tess and what okay, was I saying? Okay. And like he plays like the most sleazy like British writer in that the actor that plays the the Tory like racing company owner, he plays like the most sleazy like British writer in that movie and it's like adds up perfect casting. <laughs> like he really looks like I don't know, maybe he's like a lovely guy, but he probably is. But like he really looks like sleazy, corrupt little man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, but just maybe, to, like the, the true evil, the true evil really, <laughs> really is Tory looking, white pasty British motherfucker. Yeah, and just like to to go back to my point about the Matrix. I mean, I haven't seen it in a while, so I might be wrong. But like to me, Matrix was just like this very philosophical piece, you know, about uh, the yeah. nature of reality and the nature of how we as humans relate to reality. But without any actual grounding in human experience. Like, it was very detached. I mean, you know, with the the queer rereading, I I think I might be interested to think of, like, to see if... It's confirmed by Lana Wachowski, actually. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not even... It's actual canon now. Uh, I can send you stuff. Okay. But, like, you know, I, I would be interested if that made me relate to it more. But, like, from what I remember by watching these films, I just felt very... I didn't, like, even though it's supposed to be a movie about humanity, I didn't feel any humanity in it. No, I, I get it. It's not a movie that I really grew up loving. Um, I, some, like, I felt really lost in the lore when I watched the original trilogy, when I, like, back when I was a teenager. Um, like, but at a certain point, I was just like, okay, I'm really in it for cool visuals and cool costumes and amazing looking fights and quits choreographed by, like, the best in, like, I mean, sort of the action is amazing. I wish, like, more action films as well were just, like, were a little bit more creative these days with, like, their action sequences. Oh, definitely. And, like, The Matrix is leagues, still leagues ahead of most things. When yeah. it comes to just, like, in the fact, just, just the action by itself. Um... But yeah, I, I, I really do. And I get that because when I felt the way Thor was the Matrix, I'd like, it's a movie it's that I 
enjoy like oh it's so cool visually and Keanu's amazing and it kind of like one of my favorite actors and like obviously I'm gonna stand and like the choreography is incredible the effects are unbelievable but I never really like connected with it emotionally up until like very recently and um I don't know like I, I don't know it's like if you don't go back to it I totally understand because it's like oh like you know it's a movie that's very heavy on lore and it's a movie that's like very like oh it's like if you're not down with like the philosophical intricacies of it you're just oh you're just gonna you're really gonna get lost in the middle and like this time I really dedicated myself to like paying attention and like really getting invested and that was rewarded but yeah I get it and Speed Racer is a much easier film to really get into I just don't like philosophy on its own I think that's kind of same it's kind of boring to me it's kind of boring this is why i really like kurt vonnegut's work because like he goes like into like very abstract and deep philosophical concept but also like one of my favorite books by him i mean i haven't read all of his books but like from the ones i read i really like i mean the, the most well-known so like solar house and i i forgot the name this is the number <laughs> is it is this fahrenheit something something no is no, that no. His? no 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 fahrenheit is by ray someone no no it's slaughterhouse oh and i do not think slaughterhouse it was. five i think <laughs> slaughterhouse five that's the one i was yeah. gonna mention yeah, yeah. yeah i never read any of these books. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know like it goes like into high concept about the nature of history and time and whatnot but like at the same time it's like it it's rooted into the main character's experience experience of war and of bombing of dresden which is one of the most like um how do i say it genocide bombings <laughs> at the end of it's world war ii <laughs> giving genocide vibes and like he the main character is like you, the, the book exposes all these concepts but at the same time it's just like a story about trauma and the inability to move on from certain things that you've seen and that you've been made to um live through and that's what i fuck with like i want philosophy i'm like a big yeah. fan of philosophy but like to me yeah. i think philosophy like to just write a story like about philosophy is a bit lazy and like that's why i would be interested to see like with the queer reading whether i would react to mm -hmm. metrics in a different way and whether like yeah. i would see the humanity of it more yeah. but like to just sort of like go full circle because we like trashed him all this <laughs> this entire movie but that's also a big problem of like of nolan movies i mean first of all yes, like his, exactly his philosophy 100%. is like wacky as fuck because he only read one article about time at his time no in like the thing is like but like nolan has his brother like sorry to cut yeah. it but like it really is really feels made by like 15 year olds who read one book and never got past it their entire lives and decided to base their entire personalities out of it. Yeah. That's really it. <laughs> but like, yeah, Nolan movies are just like these concepts without any story, any emotional human story to exactly. like sort of exactly. tie them to see like, see those like big philosophical concepts actually connect mm -hmm. with our human experience and they're important. Yeah. And I totally get seeing The Matrix that way because I was one of those people. I was like, mm -hmm. I, th I think I was like 14 when I first watched The Matrix. I'm like, okay, it, all of this looks really cool. And because I, I care more about, I like, I don't know, I, I like action, I guess, more than you. I was like, okay, these, I can appreciate elements of these movies mm -hmm. like 100%. So I guess, I guess I still like them. But it really wasn't until recently that I really saw them as like, oh, these movies are really humane and emotional to me now. Mm -hmm. Um, 
like because what i'm saying is like to really go that to a sense i don't care if the matrix is about like like the allegory of the cave i don't <laughs> give a shit about that i care about knowing that neo is gay exactly that's all i want to care about yeah exactly like and that's that on that <laughs> i just want to kind of i just want to kind of have it like established that like the entirety of the wachowski filmography Every single movie that they've made, the main character is queer in some way. Maybe Speed Racer I mean... is ace. <laughs> no, it's a movie. I, I really don't think. I, I, I'm all for, like, oh, I love all the queer re-readings of the Wachowski's movies. But, like, I really don't. Like, as we watched Speed Racer, I'm like, nah, this is just a really cool family movie. I mean, Speed Racer is for the allies. Anything, <laughs> if if anything, it's it's their allies movie. But though if anything like a boring straight person could never make a movie that is this visually engaging. Yeah. In live action nowadays, I think. Yeah. yeah. That's all. That that's yeah, that's what it comes down to. I I don't know. It's not clear, but I still really like the pairing of Emil Hirsch and Christina Ricci. I think they're really sweet. Yeah. They're very cute. And I also, like, I believe them to be in love, which, like, in a lot of... I really do, yeah. I, especially, like, at, yeah. And then, like, especially in a lot of, like, action movies that, like, the the subplot love story is, like, usually so, like, lazy. We feel like, wait, she's an attractive female and he's an attractive male, so obviously they want to bonk. And, like, here you really, like, believe in their relationship. You believe that they're into each other. And it's very sweet. Yeah, um, yeah, and I also, like, to a point that you made previously, like, there's no, like, needless conflict when it comes, especially when it comes to the romance, like, oh, it's like, you would expect in, like, more boring movies to be like, oh, now, since, oh, he's gonna sell out and the relationship's gonna fall apart or vice versa, and oh the, but they're gonna go back together by the end no they just stay a really solid sweet couple till the end that really support each other there's a really beautiful scene where it's just them in the car at night like discussing where they're going with the whole racing thing and the background's really beautiful and there's that's what the scene is about and like and this is in the family movie it's but has more emotional intimacy in a couple than like any other blockbuster <laughs> of the past like 10 years like this is crazy and the thing is also like i don't I don't know where this idea comes from that the only way that like a love story can be engaging is if the people that are part of that narrative are in conflict. Like the the, the tension doesn't always yeah. have to be from like the couple fighting or like the couple being in a love triangle or like the miscommunication. Like sometimes, and this might sound crazy, but sometimes it can be about the couple navigating the dynamics of the external world as a unit. Yeah, and that's what happens in Speed Racer. And yeah, like in, in action movies, like, oh yeah, oh the, the hero of the story is really having a tough time in dealing with these outside forces and it's an obstacle that they, they must overcome. But also, uh, completely unrelated, they're also having relationship issues, uh-oh. And sometimes it really has nothing to do with it and it adds nothing to... to to whatever the movie is trying to say, but in Speed Racer, that never happens, thankfully. And it's like sometimes, like I'm. This is my the Vampire Diaries trauma, but like I'm so bored of the on and off relationships in media. Like I want like 
I want exploration of like solid relationships that are like together for like two, three yeah. seasons. And yeah. it's just like about the dynamic of that relationship and how that relationship changes. Mm-hmm. Not just like, and then they're together and then they're not together and then they're together. Because like that, Make... that's boring. I don't want like, that's not where the nuance is. That's not where like real interesting things about characters come out it's for like continuous interaction that you actually yeah. like that's why that's why sh- like the most like well-known ships are fan and ships yeah 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 the, because yeah like why not a big ya concept adventure with like i don't know like the hunger games or something but without just just have like oh the protagonist and the partner stay a solid unit throughout and they have to navigate these circumstances together. Why not? Like, seriously, like, I know that YA concerns young people and young people are very, like, like uh, not the most stable people when it comes to relationship most of the times, but, like, why the hell not? Just give Just us a nice couple. Just for the sake couple, of, like, Diversifying diversity. the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, just make a YA adventure series about how a couple is just in love throughout this entire thing while they go through some shit. It would be nice. And I guess Speed Racer, Speed Racer is that. They never break up. They never break up. They don't even fight. Yeah. They just they just they their friends there as kids. They grow up, they they become a couple and he becomes Speed Racer becomes uh like a really good racer. And she supports his career. It, it like supports his career and also drives sometimes and likes helicopters. That's it's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> and she drives herself as well. Like, she's watched Speed Racer. <laughs> oh my god, Speed Racer is amazing. I like it even more than The Matrix. Like, make more Speed Racers. Speed Racers Resurrection. I don't know. I would I would love to see that. Yeah, and watch Speed Racer. Don't, don't, pay no mind to the Rotten Tomatoes score. Like, I know we're selling... Like, we're selling this like it's the greatest movie ever made. It actually kind of is. <laughs> like, most people could just really discard this movie. And, like, why? What is pay, his seriously? score on Rotten Tomatoes? Let me check. It's, like, 40. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. Like, what the fuck? I, I really do not understand. It's... Sometimes, I love a movie... But other people may not, and I understand. Uh, like many examples of this this year, even Venom, let there be carnage. I don't know. It's not your I thing. think okay, it's sure. I think it's poetic. But Speed that, Racer. I think it's poetic that Venom has a bad score. I think that's what Venom would have wanted. Venom wouldn't want to like be certified fresh. <laughs> yeah, like just like every queer icon, queer icons really aren't for everyone. Speed Racer. And they shouldn't be. Speed Racer, okay. Overloaded with headache-inducing special effects, Speed Racer finds the Wachowski focus on visual thrills at the expense of a coherent storyline. But it has a coherent storyline! Where do we even begin? Where do we even end? First of all, the special effects are beautiful and invigorating and inspired. And there's a sequence in it that even is reminiscent. I think boring straight what... people shouldn't be allowed to have opinions. Is this racist of me? Or like, like fascist? It's, I don't know. <laughs> it, it, I really don't understand. You have to be really boring. Straight or not. You have <laughs> to be a really boring motherfucker to not find joy in Speed Racer. 
I'll stand by it. I'll be intolerant. I don't care. I think I'm gonna use Speed Racer as a, my new like um, potential future friends sieve. Like I'm gonna make like a them... barometer. Yeah, like yeah, like just like the final test to check if the vibes are good, and like yeah. Like if you come up and Matthew at me Fox, and say, let's just say Matthew Fox in that movie is very hot. Very he's beautiful, a, yeah. Oh, he's what a, a hot what, girl. What a great guy. When when he takes off, he spends his entire movie masked. Really knows the effect of like how to maxify, maximize the effect of like a mask of like a face reveal. Chris Bale can of, never. Christian I've been watching a lot never. of. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I've been watching a lot of Mexican wrestling. A lot of dramatic unmaskings. Just suddenly, oh, there's a really hot guy underneath there the whole time. There's like a big. Uh, big reveal. There's there's something special to those kinds of reveals. Oh, guy in the mask is suspiciously hot all the time. Is it has been has been hot all this time. Like who would have thunk it? You just look at it. It's just a really hot guy underneath. I'm like, wow. Hmm? It's it invokes a reaction out of you. And the Wachowskis get that. So also the the evil corporate man and also a a, a creepy English writer. <laughs> the actor name is Roger Alam. And he was yeah. he did mostly theater, so like good yeah. for him. I like how his name is Royalton, which is a, a parody of Tory. <laughs> Royalton. <laughs> uh Susan Sarandon's also in this movie. I, I I love Susan Sarandon and John Goodman in Speed Racer. They're so such sweet supporting pair supportive parents. Like I I like every this is like the ideal. You know what I love about Speed I mean there's so many things to love about Speed Racer, but you know what I particularly love? Is that you have these parallel scenes, right? right. When Rex when leaves Rex and like John Goodman, Goodman gets like all angry and chooses to express his hurt and his worry through like shouting at his son through anger, which is like a very I think which is like a thing that like I think a lot of boys are taught that like the only acceptable emotion is anger or like that's the only like quote-unquote manly emotion but then like when you have like a peril point in the arc of speed where he also contemplates leaving home you can say you can see that john goodman sort of like learn from that mistake and like is candid and vulnerable with his son and explains mm-hmm. that like he loves him and he can always come home and that he's worried but that's okay and i think that's just also such a beautiful arc for him as a father to like sort of yeah realize that like the only like when he's pushing his children away by choosing to express anger when he's hurt or vulnerable he's really hurting himself because he's not allowing he's not allowing himself to have like a, a genuine relationship with his sons i completely agree and it's uh it's it's not the most obvious plot point and thing to get invested in but it's a really um it's a really emotionally affecting point of the movie it's really small but like you really just you know Oh, let's lend John Goodman's character something to like some depth and it really works within the, the context the greater context of the movie. And it's like but as Rotten Tomato says, right? Ex- at the expense of a coherent storyline, right? So 
let's just move on. Speaking of Rotten Tomatoes, I, I think I've told you that there is this like cursed Christmas movie with Timothy Chalamet. I think I've told Ooh. you about it. What the fuck? No. Christmas movie with Timothy Chalamet. Oh yeah, so like it's like from two years before he kind of got big. He has like a very cringy kissing scene. And John Goodman is also in it. So how would you feel about doing a special Christmas episode? So like about this movie? Oh, okay, yeah, we should do, because we don't have Christmas episodes um, lined up. I mean, this is going to come out at Christmas, but yeah. This is going to come out at Christmas, but, like, after Christmas, we can, like, record this Christmas episode. Sure, we could uh, do... And, like, I know that, like, Rotten Tomatoes is not real, like, (laughs) Rotten Tomatoes, Rotten Tomatoes, but the movie in question has 18% based on 122 reviews. Okay, okay. Uh, what is this? Wait, um, I love the Coopers. I love the Coopers. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. 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 If I did. Timothy Chalamet is in it, and he's like you can tell that was like before he blew up because he's not not even like in the uh, like assemble cast. Yeah. Yeah. You have to really okay. dig. Yeah, I I'm I'm on board, and I'll I'll raise you a. Let's combine this episode and let's combine two other two podcast icons, uh, two hunks, Timothy <laughs> Chalamet. Not really, just the twink and the hunk. Let's combine them in a single episode. Let's combine Timothy Chalamet and let's do a Christmas movie from Chad Michael Murray. And that's the double feature. Which Chad Michael Murray Christmas movie? I, kn- I know. I, there's like 30 to choose from. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> Like, you could do one this time and still leave another uh, Chad Christmas movie for whenever we do our Chad episode. I'm gonna... I mean... You mean the Chad series? That man is prolific. Okay, let me look if he made a a Christmas movie in the same year as Loved Coopers. I can't find. He did. I'm a dear Christmas. Of course he did. And it's a Tyler Perry movie at that. Wait. Wait, 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 wait. Shad Michael Murray was in a Christmas Tyler Perry movie. Yes. Oh my god. I'm so excited. So yeah. Oh. you can look forward to that. Um, um, oh my god. <laughs> Tyler Perry cast Chad Michael Murray in the Tyler Perry movie just feels too perfect. So yeah, we but we I think we wait, let's finish and that bore Yulia because who else is listening to this <laughs> with uh, our planning the future of this podcast do you have any final thoughts any final observations that you would like to share with the people I, I think I, I said pretty much everything like um, I think the the Wachowskis are like our filmmakers that combine um, technical in, in, in like wizardry and inventiveness and really pushing uh like boundary pushing images in a blockbuster format but also with um very simple but very uh always affecting human uh, plots that are very based on human connections 
and I like I would just love them to get more big movies made because they're some of the even if they don't always hit like they're always consistently like interesting directors of blockbusters to um to go see and keep supporting so like yes go support the wachowskis and fuck christopher nolan bye (laughs) (laughs) okay stop uh